to be joking. You've got to be joking. Now, when the treasurer wishes oh, to go no. there or not, I would forbid him going. Forbid him going to the Senate. To, uh, to uh, account this unrepresentative swell over there. Hello and welcome back to the Unrepresentative Swill podcast. Great to be here, coming at you from our brand new recording studio in the dungeon. Yeah. Well, I think the dungeon's probably a great way of putting it right now because of our, our quite uh, dungeony setup that we've got running here. It is dank. Very dank, I'd say. Yeah, dank. Dank's a great way of putting it, mate. It has, you know, um, teenage basement vibes. There's a GameCube over there. Yeah, pretty funny. WrestleMania yeah. 13 or what? what uh, WrestleMania 18, I believe it is. One of the great there. WrestleManias. Actually, a pretty good WrestleMania. Rock, Rock v Hogan. Yeah, uh, classic. Icon v Icon. There's a home gym behind me. Yeah. So Squat, you're, yeah. you're hitting all the stereotypes, Rob. Oh, absolutely. And you know, I just want to fit in. That's all I really want, right? Just wants to fit in. Yeah. Well, probably shouldn't have done a politics podcast then <laughs> not, not very cool really well some somewhat cool but it, i think the the politics aspect really divides people yeah particularly when you're as uh un um understanding of other people's views <laughs> as you and i nick oh well maybe just you maybe just you i might distance myself from that if that's all right mate you op- you call people stupid no in debates no I've seen you do that before. <laughs> so no, that's never happened. Mm, I don't know, mate. Bring the evidence. Rob, you can't... Now we have a pod, podcast. You have responsibility for editorial standards. You can't just throw out claims and not back them up with evidence. Well, why should I... you think it's about journalism. Why should I bring... Actually, as someone that's actually done a comms unit... Yeah, how'd that unit go for you? Uncredited pass, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was that? Un- ungraded pass? Um... But as someone that's actually done a comms unit, mate, I don't think modern uh, journalists even bring journalistic standard anymore. So well, why the fuck should we? We're better than the rest of the lot, Rob. We have we have standards. All yeah. Right. All right. Look, if you want to throw us, and I want you to apologise on air. All right, I apologise against me. Slanderous um, claim. Uh, Nick, I was actually going to say, maybe in future podcasts we should actually like, you know, say hi to the guests before we say hi to each other. What do you mean? Well, like you started today with the Welcome to the Unrepresented Swill podcast. Yeah. And I think that's just probably a bit better than just saying hi to each other. Yeah. I, well, that's why I do it. <laughs> Good work, mate. I'm proud of you. Editing on the fly as we go here. We've got a really exciting episode as well today. Of course, the huge news last week was that we're going nuclear, baby. Oh, yeah. And we will be covering that in every single aspect of it. Oh, yeah. In depth. We've done a lot of research for this episode, as you can imagine, when talking about uh, nuclear power and uh, complex industrial, uh, international relations. So we're really on top of this one. But first, let's go hit some news to- uh, news headlines. Rob, big one, huge one <laughs> yesterday. Christian Porter, the kind of um, enemy antagonist of the podcast, yeah. has, re- has resigned to the backbench. How good. Uh, might I say, about time, Christian. Yes, about you know? time. And this comes uh, after something we didn't cover last week where his legal fees were pay- paid by a blind trust. 
Yep. And Malcolm Turnbull, one of many on uh, the radio who was calling out Christian Porter, just saying it's a blatant disregard of ministerial standards and ministerial conduct that you just accept money from a complete stranger. Don't disclose who it is. Uh, and Scott Morrison initially said he was seeking advice and everyone was like, what? This is just, this is not the rules, man. And then on Sunday, he grew a backbone and Christian Porter's now gone. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. Still, still running for the Labour Party, uh, the Liberal Party at the next, um, federal is, is election, he? right? I, I, I don't know. Um, people think he might not recontest his seat. I think it's all, it, it remains to be seen. Okay. Because... You'd, you'd think he has no future career now. Well, he still represents the lovely people of Pierce. And he was facing, I think, quite a strong challenge within Pierce. Independent, right? From memory? I, I think at pre-selection as well. And no. Potentially. Not at pre-selection. No one at pre-selection challenged Christian Porter. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's pretty crazy. Um. So, good. Great. Awesome. Uh, but I, I I wonder if he'll recontest his seat now because these guys don't like to just hang around as backbenchers for ages. These guys in particular, those super ambitious guys that, uh, you know, at one point had dreams of becoming prime minister. Yeah, touters as future prime minister by who knows what moron. Yeah, I think his own father called him that, actually. Yeah, it makes sense. Bad luck, Christian. It's just so good to see, as we've detailed before on this podcast, that guy's reputation... In high school, as it came to light, at law school as well at UWA, it's just, it feels like some kind of divine worldly justice that this guy's career gets ripped down. Absolutely. Um, You know, I don't like to bathe in the glory of other people's failures, but oh, this one feels good. It, it does feel really good. And I, it's like one kind of good mark on Scombo's record that finally, you know, the... <laughs> The rape allegation, you know, that just, you just get moved to another portfolio. But this blind trust deal is one step too many. And you do it was get the straw the that industry. broke the camel's back. Yeah. So, ov- like, obviously, this doesn't reflect well on ScoMo, but at least there is some shred of ministerial accountability left. Yeah, great, great to see from you, Scott. Um, one thing I do want to say is, uh, I love the Liberal Party how increasingly in the last few, maybe, or last year or two, with the quits of, you know, Craig Kelly and now Porter, how they've had to be like, oh, you know, he's still going to run, you know, he's still representing the Liberal Party because of that piss poor majority now. And it reminds me a lot of like the Malcolm Turnbull days and even um, like Julie Gillard's uh, hung government in terms of like, the lack of ministerial or not ministerial, like MPs accountability is like quite shocking because of that lack of majority forcing you to hold on to these subpar people. Yeah. And you're seeing the same thing with George Christensen now as well. Yeah. Good point. A very anti-lockdown, anti-vaccine and uh, the members of his party kind of have to toe the line and just be like, well, I don't agree, but they're his views. Yeah. Oh, well, he's still going to be a member of our party. Yeah. So, yeah. Speaking of Julia Gillard, Rob, uh, a very interesting, I've yet to watch it film uh, about Julia Gillard released on SBS last week, documentary covering the incredible um, sexism that she was subject to while she was prime minister 
And I think it's just something everyone should really reflect on because it was horrible at the time, by standards at the time, and yeah, in the context it's developed since then, even worse. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more, Nick. Um, do you know where you know where the um, you know allegations were laid? If you know what I mean, allegations probably not the right word here, but you know, do you know where much of the blame was laid by Gillard? Was it on you know the Abbott? Well, uh, I don't. Gillard, Gillard wasn't in the in the documentary. It's all using archival footage. Um, oh, really? Yeah, but it's clearly with the media and also the opposition. Right. Yeah. Pretty bad. No, stuff. no sexism within the Labor Party. Uh, probably, but um, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's a political party, so there's going to be some, yeah. but you know, I think they just wanted to hang on to their shreds of the minority government, but you know, it's such a successful government in so many ways as well. Then things they did, the NDIS, the price on carbon among others. Yeah. Fantastic. Nick. Um, it's a shame. It's it a is, real shame. It's a real shame, but everyone should go watch that if you have time. Uh, I will be doing that this week. Very excited about that. When you finish your assignments, though, right? Yeah, yeah. When I finish my assignments, which will be next century or so. Um, speaking of anti-lockdown protests as well, huge ones in Melbourne that we saw over the weekend. Massive uh, ones. Quite a intense police presence as well. Yeah, I saw three police officers ended up in hospital. Yeah, with like broken arms and like stuff like that. Yeah, I saw some footage. There were you know fights breaking out. Uh, the Melbourne government as well actually shut down the public transport system yeah. to try and break up or prevent the protesters from attending. So clearly this is you know, becoming a, a bit of a bigger deal. Yeah, it was really interesting to see. Do you see the video of like the um, protesters like breaking through a police barricade and yeah. just storming through? Yeah, bizarre. That's what, pretty nuts. So on the back of these protests, I'm guessing lockdown's been lifted, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really successful protests. <laughs> so funny you say that. Dan Andrews has said yesterday at this um, that he released the kind of roadmap out of lockdown for for Victoria, uh, and and by October they will lift most restrictions, uh, which is very interesting. And S- Sydney is obviously doing a similar thing now moving forward, uh, and they still receive uh, recording high numbers of COVID cases. I think it was. A- just a touch over a thousand cases yesterday. Yeah, so obviously not as high. They've kind of gone downwards a little bit. Yeah, they 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 seem to be tracking in around that low thousand mark rather than the mid thousand mark. Yeah, but you know, you just you cannot keep these lockdowns going on. I just it's not a long term strategy. Yeah, I do agree with that, Nick. But I think I still think seventy percent is not enough. Ah, uh, I yeah, I I just I I don't think they have a real choice really. I think they have to. I don't know, man. I've, at 70%, like, the Doherty Institute says, like, cases will go down at 70% with a lockdown, right? Yeah. And they've interpreted that as, you can open up at 70%. I have significant concerns that we'll see another wave in Sydney because of this uh, reduction in uh, lockdown. But, you know, it, the, the, the people who will die, people will die. Yeah. The death is just so taboo. In our, in our society and the way governments deal with it as well. You know, as we've said before, one of the weaknesses of democracy, they can't deal with that really. But, you know, the people who will die will be very old, unvaccinated people. Yeah. And, had, and people have had so, so long to get the vaccine, right? But do you think you should punish people for, like, 
on mass for not vaccine. Well, all these things are just are just value judgments, ju- judgment calls, like cost benefit analysis. At the end of the day, as a government, um, you look at the economic effects of uh, lockdowns on people's mental health. Yeah, and you know, there's of course those correlations we talked about last year, where every percentage rise in unemployment leads to x many suicides. Yeah. So there's all kinds of things to consider, but yeah. No, I think I think that's a pretty uh, good point and a nuanced point you've made there, Nick. However, I don't know. Still, I'm still I'm still not convinced, and I'll ha- I would like to be proved wrong in, wrong in this one. And I encourage any New South Wales listeners to get vaxxed if you haven't. Yeah, and because you won't last in a in a non lockdown world. And we'll see how it unfolds as well, New South Wales. Yeah, as it's, it evolves, it's, it's nice to watch from our little cave. Yeah. In two ways. It is. We are literally in a cave and also <laughs> WA is a cave. Yep. But Rob, let's move on to the big news story last week. Dominated. Everyone got really riled up about this one. Massive. I, I think it's just because it was non-COVID. Yeah. And another great thing was like, you know, as as a little political uh, international relation guys that we are, a lot of people were interested to see what we had to say about it. And that's At a parties great feeling. And stuff. And gee, it's nice to be wanted. It's nice. <laughs> it's nice for people to care about me. Yeah, it is. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> I'll give a big, a little bit of context, just so we're all on the same page. We had an existing deal with the French government, where they were going to build us a number of an indeterminate number of subs, ninety billion dollar deal, very poor deal. Yeah, was, well, let, let's start off and say how poor that deal is. Yeah, it was negotiated by, I believe, the Abbott and then Turnbull governments. Yeah. Uh, it was just fraught with you know, over um, overspending, that kind of thing. Uh, getting subs that you know, were actually not going to be useful to us, couldn't meet the capabilities. So last week, ScoMo tore up that deal. And that in itself involves like a $2 billion payout, potentially more. French, obviously, very upset about that one as well. But in tearing up that deal, we've launched a new partnership with the US and the UK called AUKUS. AUKUS. Which is really funny because it just reminds me of AUKUS or does, some people have said AUKUS. I was, was going to say, it reminds me a lot of AUKUS, uh, which might be fitting for submarines. I'm not sure how long AUKUS can hold their breath underwater for. Well, probably not forever. Whereas these submarines. nuclear subs can do. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's we got. So we're getting nuclear subs. Pretty big deal because... The US has only shared its nuclear sub technology once with the UK in the 1950s. Yes. Uh, so it's pretty unprecedented besides that to share nuclear submarine tech with another country. And that's a huge deal for Australia because we have this history of uh, anti-nuclear sentiment. Um, and to be clear, the nuclear subs will be powered by nuclear reactors, but there's not going to be any nuclear weapons or anything like that. No, Australia is not becoming a nuclear power. No, I think people were confused by that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just nuclear powered subs. And they have a lot of advantages compared to you know, the submarines we're going to get by the French. I think with diesel powered, they can basically stay underwater forever. Uh, yep. They have, you know, can go much further and that kind of stuff way more useful in the event of a kind of uh, sea war, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it seems like a good thing that we've got um, these better submarines. Don't know how much it cost as well. Yeah. Don't know that yet. Don't know the costs, but that's all right. You know, that you can't put a, you can't put a cost on freedom, Nick. 
Why don't and that's s- what we're fighting for here, right? <laughs> uh, well, why don't I start by asking you, Rob, was it a, a, the right idea to tear up this deal with the French government, this bad deal? Because the French are pissed. Yeah, the French are pissed. Um, I think there's, it's, you know, as with a lot of things in uh, international relations, you can look at it two ways. And it, it really depends on how much you think the, the China threat is and how much you want Australia to continue to trade with China. Um, I think you probably should have just stuck down the line because the Chinese are pissed about this. They are, yeah. And it's going to ruin our trade relationships if it, they aren't already ruined. Yeah, controversially, I think this is probably a good deal, the nuclear deal. It's, I think, better than the French deal. Oh, no, absolutely. I, I 100% agree with the fact that, you know, looking at each deal individually... The nuclear one's better, but to break a contract... Well, even breaking the contract, it kind of reminds me of the situation in Afghanistan, weirdly, for the US government, because you know, everyone knew it was a bad situation, but it was the fault of a previous government, right? Yeah. And then Biden was like, I'm going to just cut and run and take the fall for a lot of this, but then, yeah, I'm going to get us out of there. Yeah. Kind of a similar thing here. Well, I think, I think you know, to kind of take it, out a little bit the retreat from afghanistan and and this nuclear deal within a month really shows where us the us's interest is i think you know a few weeks back we said is the war on terror basically over or that era over i think this all but confirms it nick to be honest yeah yeah the war on terror and all those other things that it meant besides just the fact that terrorists exist yeah yeah i'm not saying terrorists don't exist anymore Let, let me say that yeah. But I think there's clearly a pivot to China in terms of all U.S. foreign policy. And that's depending on what you think about the U.S. and 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 China as well, uh, a good or a bad thing for us because we are now one of the U.S.'s most important allies. You certainly. And this is a clear escalation in our relationship with China. As many as a few years ago, they were still running the line, our government, of we don't have to pick a side, we can stay in, but, you know, out of this, basically. I think that's all, all ideas of that have been thrown out, really. Yeah, absolutely over now. Um, do you think there's a, any potential repercussions from China in terms of you know, more than harsh words, Rob? Any, any kind of ec- economic sanctions, trade barriers? Well, I think you'll you'll see something similar to what happened last year in terms of, you know, we'll see some meat tariffs or barley tariffs or wine tariffs. Yeah, I just think, I think there's not much more stuff they can do. So, they've all done that already. Yeah. Um, I, like education as well. They've kind of, I think they're dissuading uh, Chinese students to go to Australia. And that's obviously one of our huge exports is university education. Not much more they can do because they do rely on our iron ore. A yeah, lot. They, they can't, can't get they, rid of that. They can't cut iron ore ties. Um, not yet, anyway. Not yet. Yeah, not yet. So, uh, and we we're happy to keep selling them that as well. So, but things aren't going to get better certainly in the trade sphere. No, it's going to be a huge problem for Australia going Absolutely. forward in the long term. And I think the US has put a fair few contingency plans into decoupling their trade relationship with China, whereas because of our government's. Uh, lack of understanding of how how these deals will affect our trade relationship with China. I think we haven't even begun to decouple in terms of our personal trade relationship with China. 
Yeah, well, I don't even know what decoupling would look like, you know? That's the I don't that's the problem with the free market, isn't it? Yeah. Like where would what would we do with that iron ore? Well, like surely someone would want it. I don't know. I don't know, man. Maybe it, I feel like if someone wanted it, we would be doing that already. I like like yo, Twiggy Forest would be doing that already. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh I'm not really concerned about us selling, but uh, buying is there's an easy way to find decouple in terms of buying cheap products yeah and that's yeah. already really begun with china becoming a uh, middle income power anyways yeah true so another interesting thing um on this rob is the position this puts us in the this puts the labor party in because a nuclear is the, the whole topic of nuclear power is a kind of um poison chalice in the labor party and the greens as well and in australian politics it was kind of decided that we wouldn't pursue any kind of nuclear power. There's all kind of fear-mongering around the, the safety issues in that. And now Labor have said they're on board with the deal in principle. The Greens have come out very strongly against it. In principle. Will, will this alienate the Labor base? Because I think not like not only was this a strategic looking forward 10 years kind of move from scott morrison this was a political choice because this puts labor in the corner very effectively i think because they either have to say yes and have that potential of alienating their base or this becomes another scare campaign uh way to securitize an issue and labor's you're very weak on that yeah well labor's you know beta on all all security issues. That's why, you know, you know, security talks, right? I think the Liberal Party's been in power for 70% of the time in Australian history because, you know, security talks. That's what people fear most is their security. They don't fucking care about workers' rights. Fuck that. Or the that. environment. Don't topic up. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah, absolutely, Nick. I couldn't, couldn't agree more with uh, your point surrounding... It's really a wedge issue for the Labor Party. However, I think, unfortunately, unfortunately for base supporters like me and you, I don't think that's a ma- their main concern, right? Well, they yeah. got their base vote anyways, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I wonder how much effect it will have. I can't imagine a huge one because it's just like, you know, so the Greens have said like, oh, they're floating Chernobyls, which by the way is complete rubbish. Can we just come out and call this... The whole anti-nuclear thing I've never understood. Really? It makes absolutely no sense. Ooh. Nuclear power would be such a great asset for this country. And it's it's, it's stupid that we turned away from that. I don't think so, Really? Well, obviously, it's better about? than coal power. I think that there's still like too much of a risk surrounding... No. We live... Like there's so the big risk danger to it is like natural disasters if you're having like power on yeah. the continent. Australia is not near any fault lines. We don't have any hurricanes or anything like that. Yeah, but we get floods constantly, mate. No, no, there's no floods in central Australia where you could build it. Also, we've got all this space, so you just chuck all the waste in a big basement vault somewhere, and then in a hundred years, we don't know how to do something with it. We'll dig it back up again. But how how do you know that we're gonna know how what? to do with it you know oh yeah just you just there's so little we have so much space in you know the deep depths of the desert well that would not be an issue at all well then if we got all this desert why don't we just build fucking big old solar panels well yeah the the kind of energy issue is passed obviously 
Uh, I think nuclear power would have been a great investment 30 years ago, 20 years <laughs> ago. But yeah, we can't say that now. But the idea that like nuclear powered subs would be unsafe is complete rubbish, I think. All right. Look, you probably know more about nuclear power than me, Matt. It's I'll, just, I'll leave you to it. You know, yeah, it, it is a lot of like this, I think maybe one of the rare examples of like <laughs> fear mongering on like the you know, traditional left side of politics. And the Greens have done it really well in Australia. And I do think it's harmful to the whole debate around nuclear policy. Okay. Um, but also, I I just don't think Labor supporters will particularly care here. I think Labor will do a good enough job of drumming them up about essentially the failings of the Morrison government. Yeah, I agree, Nick. Um, I'm going to still vote for the Labor Party the next election, I think. Yeah, mate, there's no no doubt about that <laughs> at all. Yeah, very, very fair. Um, yeah, I think I think the Labor Party will be able to kind of scoot their way around this issue. Um, you know, maybe learn a little bit from what uh, the other side of politics does in scooting around the climate change issue. <laughs> very nice. Yeah, very nice. Uh, I think it was a good move by Labor not to come out against this deal. Absolutely. As well. Although it, it must have been tempting for the Labor Party. To, yeah. to come out against it, right? Yeah, I think ultimately would have been the wrong decision, though. Absolutely. Um, because the thing about defense policy as well is that, like, we're not talking about getting these subs tomorrow. It's not a, it's not a click and same day delivery. These subs will take though. a decade to build, kind of. Do thing. you know if Amazon are doing any subs anytime soon, though? Yeah, but they're manufactured in China, so <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if we should do that. Yeah, fair. Um, yeah, so this is a 10-year kind of outlook. So, super long-term. Yep. Who knows what will happen? will be happening in 10 years. I sure don't. Um, so, yeah, I think as an opposition, you have to ensure there's some kind of continuity with defense policy when it necessarily needs to extend for 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. Unless I you can easily change it. One, Yeah, the one concern is like, with defense policy, it it's Labor's big weakness, I think. Like for you know, I think mean, that's the key reason why Howard was so popular post nine eleven and stuff. But like Labor just suck at post at defense policy in terms of like people just get more worried of their security concerns, right? I think it's because Labor don't want to spend heaps and heaps of money as well. Exactly. Like it's I'm not I'm not saying Labor's got poor poli- poor defense yeah. policies, but it it's just, just doesn't focus. Yeah. Yeah. And talk about poor defense policy as well. If we haven't highlighted it already, this submarine deal has been like uh, this has been ridiculous, and we've wasted so much money already. The French deal. The French deal. Yeah. Oh my god! Just look at the history of submarine purchasing in our country. If people don't know this, this has been like this for decades and decades. The ones we have now, I think we have a few Dusty Collins class submarines lying around from the 80s, from the Hawk era. And those bloody things, apparently their periscopes don't work. I think they can't turn right. (laughs) (laughs) Which is... Four left, Matt. Yeah, basically, all of the capabilities we needed were not delivered. I think they were built in Japan. Awesome. But, yeah, we've had all kinds of submarine deals over the past, and they've all been a disaster. Yeah. Hopefully this one is we get it right because goddamn would be nice to have some submarines from 
that are not 50 years obsolete, you know? Well, they're good submarines, right? We can we can come out and say that about these subs at least. They right? have advantages. Uh, you know, there's obviously problems, questions around how they'd be maintained because you would have to have a way to do that in Australia, you'd think. We also have to be able to buy fuel off the US and the UK and that people have said that makes us dependent on the US and the UK going forward into the future, which is something we've been locked into, really. Yeah, I'm, look, I'm not that worried about being dependent on those two nations. Yeah, what... Um, Hugh White, I think, and he's like a big defense policy guru from ANU, written a few books. Bit oh, yeah. of a moron, in my opinion. Written a couple of books. He was very against this idea of being dependent on them. And if you remember, Rob, he was, I think, the proponent of continental defense. Ah, yes. It's this idea that Australia should reorientate its whole defense policy to just focus on protecting the continent in the event of a war in the Pacific. Okay. And Nick, do you think these subs actually might actually help our continental defense? I, I, <laughs> I wouldn't know. I, th- I think they would though. Cause it's that you, the subs are great at that kind of sea denial strategy where yep. you just don't let any, because of the risk of submarines, if a kind of adversary knows you have submarines, then it prevents any of their vessels from coming really close to the mainland. And yeah, easy to defend an island, as they say. Absolutely, Nick. So I, I that's what I was thinking about this whole time is obviously those submarines are built to um assist supplement the US architecture of their defense in the Asia Pacific or Indo Pacific I should say. But I wonder in the event of a dire emergency that they could be used to defend the continent. Probably. I wonder that as well, Nick. I think probably. I can't say why not. Yeah. Uh, I'm really unconfident talking about this issue, to be honest. Oh, you're not a fan of submarines? I've played a lot of World War II strategy simulator games. That doesn't surprise me. Um, so I think I have a lot of experience in this in this area. Well, they're very transferable. And to be honest, you know, our submarines are probably from that era as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but that, that all about wraps it up, I reckon, Rob. That's a okay. bit of a deep dive on that yeah. issue. Obviously, China is not very happy about this at all. Interesting to see how this unfolds. I'm very interested to see how this unfolds. I don't think it'll unfold good, but we'll have to see, hey? Yeah, well, that's the that's the struggle, isn't it? This whole China issue, climate change, the pandemic, pretty scary. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on, you know, yeah. and I've always said that. People are saying now, like, they're talking about China invading Taiwan and, you know, what, because they're talking about the whole strategic issue in the Indo-Pacific. They're talking about that. And can you imagine if that happened? That's World War Three. I'd be so scared, man. Yeah. I'd be really terrified. I'd be jumping on one of those um, flights to Mars that um, Elon Musk <laughs> or Jeff Bezos, one of those rich blokes are doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, there. Were, I think the other day they had the first civilian flight and I use civilian in air quotes because they're all billionaires um, to like space for like a few days. Yeah, cool. So maybe we'll jump on one of those, Rob, with the funds from the podcast. Oh, and the funds are explosive. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everyone. What are our socials again, Rob? Uh, at Unrepresented Swill on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and at Swill Podcast on Twitter. Uh, just use the internet, Google it, you guys find it. No worries. 
Everyone stay safe and have a great weekend. See you then.